0: to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.blchurch.tv. I am excited for what we're about to get into today, but I don't know about you, We don't even need to hear a message after some of these songs that we sing. There is so much good preaching in these songs, like that song God of Revival, just the declarations of who God is. I mean, if you're that kind of person that tries to just like get through the music so you can get to the speaking, you're missing out because God's already been preaching to you to draw your heart into what he's about to do. So I'm so thankful for our worship team and everyone that comes early and sacrifices and dedicates themselves to, uh, to uh, serve here at VLC. We have such an awesome church family, and I'm, I'm so very thankful. Today we begin a new endeavor together. If you didn't grab one on the way in because you didn't know about it, there are packets uh, like this in the back, um, at the back table by the communion table. So I would encourage everyone, not just mom and dad, but everyone to pick one up on the way out. There should be enough for everybody. Um, if if we run out, then uh, we'll get some more made up and we'll make it available digitally if we need to. But we are going to begin 22 days of prayer and we've developed a devotional to unite us together that we're going to begin tomorrow on this 22-day Prayer journey, And the way this came about is every year, as I asked the Lord, God, what do you want us to focus on this year? What do you want us to do? Uh, not only did he put on my heart to go through the series, Make Your Move. But did anybody move over the last four weeks? Make a move? Begin, or having stuff move in you? Feel like God is shifting some things? I know it was such a challenge to our faith to recognize that life's never going to be perfect, but God is always awesome. So we can trust him, and we can keep moving forward with what he asks us to do, knowing he will always provide everything we need. And so as I was pressing into that, um, I just got this sense that God really wanted to do something this year. That he wanted to move, whether it was just in us to prepare us for something, or to do something significant. And so I started asking the Lord, okay God, if you want to do something, I don't want to just sit here and do nothing. I want to join you in what you're doing. So, so what can we do uh, as a church, and I just started getting the sense of, uh, like, we need to start becoming more active, and, and not just uh, inviting people to church, which we should be doing all of the time, and, and, but, and not just having special services, which we've kind of gotten away from as we we're trying to recalibrate the focus of our church, and special services are good. I love having fun. I love doing cool things, especially when our ladies do pancake breakfast for men on Father's Day. Mm-hmm. Can I get an amen, fellas? Amen. We've done some really cool things here. I know the ladies like the the spa certificates that they can win on Mother's Day. Amen, ladies. Right? Like, we've done some pretty cool things, and those are fun. But more than that, God wants to do something in us to make us more like Jesus so that when we go out into our community, we can transform it. That's what He wants to do. So God, what are you wanting to do in us and through us? You know what's cool? When your phone... At least it was the Bible app. My phone just went off. <laughs> and, it, and that was for a purpose. Let me get back to where I was. So this message today is we're kicking off this 22 days of prayer. We're going to begin the prayer journey tomorrow. But this message is to set the tone for the next 22 days. And I want to be really transparent in the heart behind what we're doing today. Because it could come across as more than a challenge some type of a, a rebuke. You ever been to those, those services where it's a, it's a hard-hitting message and it's a tough situation and the pastor, the Holy Spirit through the pastor is just hitting every like sore spot in your heart and you kind of feel like you walk away and you feel more beat up than you do encouraged? All right, I don't want that. But I'm going to challenge all of us because what we're about to talk about, every one of us deal with to some level, some more than others. And so we're all in this together, and this is a a challenge to get raw and real with God, with where you are in your personal relationship and in your faith. Um, In Psalm 139, I don't have this on the notes, but I just, this is the whole tone. In Psalm 139, the writer of Psalms uh, 139, verse 23, he says, Search me, O God, know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. And here's the daring thing. Request. He says, point out anything in me that offends you. When we ask God to search us and point out anything that offends us, we better be ready to hear what offends the Lord and then do something about it. And then he says, point out anything that offends you, but then lead me along the path of everlasting life. The good thing about our God is he doesn't just leave us broken. He doesn't leave us writhing in guilt and shame, like facing the reality of our own brokenness. He then takes us where we are and begins to lead us out of it into who we were always meant to be in Christ Jesus. We have such an awesome God. So this is the heart, if you can catch it, this is the heart behind it. It's God, search us as a church. God, search me as a follower and believer of Jesus. Challenge me to the very core of who I am So that I'm exactly where you need me to be for what you want to do. That's what we're asking God for. And I believe it's not what's written in this packet, in this devotional, that's going to make the difference. It's what you put into it that's going to make the difference. Like, can I be totally honest? Is it okay to be totally honest? I shared this with uh, our team last night. Um, We had a leadership meeting team. And... When Version Bible, anybody have the Version Bible app? It's awesome. I, I love it. And I think it's such an amazing tool. If you're not a good reader, it'll read it to you. I mean, it's just a, it's an awesome thing. Every tr- English translation you could want is on there and a lot of good Bible plans and things. But when Version started moving from being a Bible app to a social Bible app where you could not just read devotional plans but invite friends to read devotional plans with you, for some reason, everyone thought the pastor wanted to read a devotional with them. And I got like 50 requests from people. And, and not just people, like random people, my own kids. Like how do you like reject a devotional request from your own kids? Like that's, that's like a two-edged sword. You just can't do that. So I got all of these. So what did I end up doing? I ended up accepting all the requests. And, and as soon as they started, I just started zooming through them because my heart really wasn't in there, I was just more concerned with what the people who invited me thought about the pastor doing the devotional. So I had to at least check it off the list and throw a comment out there every once in a while. And so there are many times where you open a devotional, you know you should read it, you know like it's probably got some good things, but your heart's really not there and so you don't get much out of it. It makes little to no difference in your life. I don't want that to be this. I I want us to approach this believing God's going to do something in me through it. And and to set aside the time that we need to go through it, to give our heart and our attention to it, so that God can work in and through us. And I I believe if we do this together collectively, there's going to be a shift in our church. Um, The last few weeks have just been pretty amazing, in my opinion, in our worship gatherings. The worship last week was off the chain. Um... Just what God was doing in, a, in our services. And Tony, she's, she's brought a couple of words that were not just good words, but were challenging words in our worship gathering. Last, last week, um, she asked a question. I believe it's from the Spirit of God, because I think God asks us tough questions every once in a while. And, he, and what he asked through her, she said, if we don't really want to be here, if we're not really serious about pursuing Jesus then why don't we just go home? I mean, wrestle with that for a second. That's a heavy word. But but if you think about it, why are you wasting your time? God's got stuff to do. He's got stuff to do in you. If you're not interested, what are you doing here? Go do something else. Right? And so that was a heavy challenge to bring. And, and, and I believe that this is, what God is not just speaking to our church, but to the church across the United States, across the world, because of the specific time and place we're in, in history. That God, God wants to do something in the world and he's waiting for a people who will step up to the challenge. Who will say, God, I, I want to be here. And I believe when, when God's people are in that place where they, God, yes, we want to be here, we want to pursue you, then he's going to move In a very powerful way. And and we've just been sensing this for a long time. We sense that God wants to do something significant in this church. I mean, I'm just amazed that when it feels like we're down, how the next week, it's like we're up in, in, in multiple ways. God is definitely doing something supernatural. But there's like this lid. There's this lid that we keep pressing against. Like the moment we start getting traction, then some stuff happens. And we lose traction. Uh, Like we we get this awesome screen, but then we can't project anything on it because the projector doesn't work. Now we got a projector and a screen, and I'm just waiting for something, you know. It's just like something always takes place, or somebody will come. They'll get involved, and it's like, okay, we got some traction, but then something happens in their family or their life, or they, they get offended, and then they leave, and then now we're back to square one. It seems like we're constantly fighting, just trying to... Ask God, okay, God, fulfill the very promises you've been speaking over our ministry. And so this is why we're doing this together. Because, the, and, I, and I think the longer you walk with Jesus, like being honest. I've, I've been a Christian since I was four years old. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior when I was four years old at my bedside with my family. I've been in church probably every Sunday that I can imagine, aside from a few rebellious years where I decided not to go and I could drive myself wherever I wanted to go. But when God got a hold of my heart, I've been in church ever since, been involved in church ever since, Um, just constantly involved in the church. And when you're in the church long enough, sometimes you begin to get numb to some things. And if we're not fanning into flame our connection to God, we can become numb and we can become dull to some things that God wants to do. We can become numb to the moving of his presence. And we have an enemy that understands that dynamic and that reality. We have an enemy that wants to do everything he can to stifle our relationship with God, to stifle what God wants to do, and, and to come against the work of God. Why? Because if we're not doing anything for the Lord, he gets to keep doing whatever he wants. But when the people of God are on fire for the Lord, he's in trouble. So he's going to do everything he can to keep you from growing in your relationship with Christ, being filled up with the Spirit, walking in great faith, and doing miraculous things for Jesus. And in the Old Testament, God had to rebuke Israel for this kind of condition that became national. It wasn't just isolated, it became a national condition. That it became a spiritual condition that plagued the entire people of God. They had became disconnected, their excitement turned to dullness, their appetites really weren't for the things of the Lord. They'd, they weren't really like hungry for God or, or wanting to go deeper with the Lord. And in Isaiah 29 verses eight through 13, God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and he's speaking to the heart of this condition that they have and the spiritual reality behind what's entrenching them deeper into this condition. In verse 8, he says, A hungry person dreams of eating, but wakes up still hungry. A thirsty person dreams of drinking. But it's still faint from the thirst when morning comes. So it will be with your enemies, with those who attack Mount Zion. Mount Zion was the, the nation of Israel. It was the mountain in Jerusalem where the temple was. He said, verse 9. So Isaiah is giving them this prophetic warning, this prophetic word from the Lord. Verse 9. He says to the nation of Israel, are you amazed and incredulous? Don't you believe it? Are you amazed incredulous, don't you believe it? Like, I'm telling you what's going to happen. I'm giving you a word over the nation. I'm telling you my will, my plan, my directives. Don't you believe it? And that's a rhetorical question. But then he says, go ahead and be blind. You're stupid, but not from wine. Don't you love it when God says words like stupid? (laughs) Y'all touched, man. You're stupid, but not from wine. You stagger, but not from liquor. For the Lord has poured out on you a spirit of deep sleep. Somebody say a spirit of deep sleep. Catch what's happening here. Because of the condition in their heart, the Lord has opened an area of oppression on the nation. He has allowed the enemy to move in, and the way it's manifesting is this spirit of deep sleep. What's the effect of this spiritual influence? It says, he's closed the eyes of your prophets and visionaries. All the future events in this vision are like a sealed book to them. When you give it to those who can read, they'll say, we can't read it because it's sealed. When you give it to those who cannot read, they'll say, we don't know how to read. So this spirit of deep sleep, is preventing the people of God from being able to understand and discern the Word and will of God. It's numbing the ability for them to have a connection with God where where they can grow, where they can be vibrant, where they can walk in greater faith, because there is a dulled nature to their spiritual reality. It's coming against their appetites and their ability to even discern what God is saying. And here is the key to why this spirit of deep sleep is able to affect them. Why God has opened this area of opportunity of attack on the nation of Israel. Verse 13, he says, and so the Lord says, these people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. And their worship is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote." Oh, Father in heaven, open our eyes that we may see. Open our ears that we may hear. Open our minds to understand. And give us a heart ready to believe. And Father, I pray against every spirit of deep sleep in this room today. I bind it in Jesus' name. And I say, loose your victims. That the word of the Lord may be heard, understood, and received. In Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, this is why Jesus hates religion. This is why I hate religion. I have been affected by religion. Many of you are still reeling from the effects of religion. This is why pastors uh, across the world, why friends of mine, we hate religion because we hate what religion does to people. I hate it. It replaces an authentic, real, vibrant, a life-changing relationship with Jesus, with His Holy Spirit, with the true and living God. It exchanges that... For customs, traditions, and routines, they give the perception of relationship. But all it does is it replaces relationship with rules. And your self-image, your self-esteem, the idea of how spiritual you really are, and other people are, become based on your success at keeping the rules and regulations and traditions. You're more spiritual because you're better than they are. It breeds self-righteousness. I'm great with God because I'm not like other men. But beloved, since none of us are perfect, we all make mistakes. None of us can live up to the image that we've, that we've created, this image of perfection we put on ourselves. And, and religion is solely focused on the law. It's solely focused on doing like, like, you're not doing enough, or you're doing too much, or you're not doing it right. You're, you're not what you should be. This is what religion does. It puts an impossible standard upon people. And this is why God gave Israel the law. It wasn't to, so they, they could become right by following the law. It's to show them there's no way possible for them to get right, and they needed a Savior whose name was Jesus Christ. Religion solely focused on the law. It's devoid of all grace and mercy, binds people in a constant state of shame, turning what should be acts motivated by passionate love for God in worship to acts of heartless duty just to appease an angry God. Many of us live our days believing God is not happy with us. You know what the beauty of the cross was? His anger went on Jesus and we receive... His love. God is happy with you. Why? Because Jesus is perfect and we're in Christ. We get his righteousness. He takes our sin, we get his righteousness. It's a great exchange. Religion makes you never feel like you can ever achieve being good enough. It makes you feel like you're never good enough or worthy of his love. Oh, I messed up again. I got to pray. Oh man, how am I going to do this? What's God going to think of me? What's God going to say? Man, I don't know if I could pray today because of how badly I messed up today. When God's saying, just do it. Let me take this from you. This burden is not yours to bear. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. Come to me and I'll give you rest and peace. Blessed are those who take refuge in the Lord. You see, this is why Paul said in Romans eight, one, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I love that verse. Well There's gotta be a little condemnation. I know what I've done. I mean there's plenty of people I know that remind me of the reasons why there should be a little condemnation. The moment you accepted Christ as your savior, God took his divine eraser, blotted out every record of wrong against you. There is no record. It's gone. For all time. Paul needed to remind us that when we become born again, we become a brand new creation because of the relationship we have with Jesus and his spirit coming to live inside us to fill us with the love of God. That's why the spirit is here. God's gifts of the Holy Spirit are God's love languages. As you are being filled up with the love of God, his love languages begin to flow from your life and manifest in different ways. But even though we have this newness to us, we're a new creation, we have a new relationship with God, we still wrestle with this flesh... This physical reality that's still under the curse of sin. Like Jesus is going to come back and do away with that. We're going to get a new body. Anybody praising God for the new body? In March I turn 40. And I hear after 40 there's some challenges that come. I'm trying to prevent those challenges. And my wife has invested in some creams and lotions to help me prevent some of those challenges. Yeah, it's just right here, right here. Get those crow's feet. Let's get them. You know? So praise God for the new body that will never be corrupted, never be destroyed, that is eternal, that is sinless. But until that day, we are in a tug-of-war match. The Spirit of God in us is constantly pulling us toward God toward relationship but our flesh is pulling us in the other way and it pulls us towards religion it pulls us towards things that we can understand in our own power in our own might in first corinthians 2 14 paul tells us that the things of the spirit can only be understood by the spirit the things of god can't be understood in the flesh there's no spiritual discernment in the flesh The things of the flesh are foolishness to those who are devoid of the Spirit. But this is what our flesh does. It tries to get us to lean more on our our physical nature, on what we can comprehend in our physical nature, rather than lean on the spiritual nature. And it battles between relationship and religion. What am I going to pour myself into? When a person doesn't understand or get it, my... Tony and I talk about this uh, sometimes where we we see some potential in, in some people and we're like, man, they've got all these awesome qualities, but they just don't get it. They've got so many good things going on, but there's just something that they just don't get it. And that doesn't, it's not a slam against them. It's a burden in us. It's like a sorrow in us because if they could just get it, then imagine what God would do through them or could do through them. And so that's what Paul is saying. He's saying the things of the Spirit are spiritually discerned. People who don't get it, they really don't desire the things of God. They're not really committed to pursuing God. They're uncomfortable with faith conversations or even being encouraged to step out and do more because they don't know why it's important. They just don't understand. So they don't get it because they don't understand. It's like what Isaiah just, or God said through Isaiah. He said, you give them the scroll, you give them the word, and they can't read it. Because there's like a blindness on them. There's a dullness to their heart, to their, to their spirit. But yet, these very same people, they identify as followers of Jesus Christ. They identify. They, they would say, I'm a believer. I've, I'm a Christian. And chances are if they're truly born again, which many of them are, they're under the oppression of the spirit of deep sleep. A religious spirit that has dulled their understanding and that's dulled their appetite for the things of God and it's replaced their relationship with God through the Holy Spirit with a works-based religion, something they can quantify or get their mind around and it's working to keep them And keep their hearts hard toward the Lord rather than breaking their hearts in repentance to run to the Lord. There's an old song, an old hymn called, Come Thou Fount. Come Thou Fount of every blessing. In that song, there's a lyric that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. It's the nature of this flesh that we wrestle with. There's a part of all of us that is constantly pulling us away from God when the Spirit is trying to pull us towards the Lord. And I think many times we opt for what the flesh is doing because of the sense of condemnation and shame that we feel, a sense of unworthiness. And the spirit of deep sleep has a huge foothold in many churches and in many Christians. Because if you look at church history, especially in our country, over the years, we've let this spirit train us on how to do church. This is how you're supposed to do church. Nope, this is how you're supposed to do church. Nope, this is how, and it's got to be on this kind of color of carpet. Nope, it's got to be over here, but with this kind of music. Nope, the pastor's got to wear this. The pastor's wife has to have this hairstyle. We got to read this translation of the Bible. You can only have this race in your congregation. We've followed a different spirit. We've allowed it to train us on how to do church. We've believed its doctrine. And now we go along with the motions. And as long as we're following its influence, we will acknowledge Jesus with our lips. But our hearts, they're not even in the building. They're at the reservation that we made for lunch. Come on now. They're in the comfort of our living room because it's just too hard to get up and go to the building on a Sunday morning. It's in our hobby. It's in our social environment. It's in our work. That's where our hearts are. All the while feeling we've arrived because we did church today. There's nothing more. There's nothing deeper. I've got everything I need because I prayed a prayer one Sunday morning at the altar. Okay, then how come you're still in the world searching for joy, fulfillment, your identity, and everything you can only find in Jesus Christ? If you have everything you need, Like, your spiritual life is completely full. Like, there's nothing more God can teach you. Hello? The next time someone tells me that message wasn't for me, well, then you better start your own church. Because you got it all figured out. There's not a church service I go to where I'm not hungry for what God wants to say to me. And half the stuff I'm telling you now, he's making up on the spot, and I'm getting something from it. I'm, I'm serious, like, we do church. I served in my ministry, I sat through the music, I sat through the service, now I'm going home and I'm free. And yet, we still search the world. Rather than finding what we need truly in the one who created us, who gave his life for us. There is a religious facade that this spirit has been able to create. And many of us, if not all of us, wrestle with it at some degree. And it hinders our worship. It hinders our faith. It hinders our obedience to step out and do simple things. It hinders our love for God because it's a life that lacks the experience of His unfailing love and His presence. Beloved, we didn't first love Him. He first loved us. We don't have to convince Him to love us. Why? Because for God's to love the world, that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. God loved first, God took the first step, and He's calling us to respond. This facade hinders the ability for the Holy Spirit to bring that life-changing power, that life-changing relationship. It hinders our chances of having an encounter with God that could be life-changing. Like the moments that I've had just encounters with the Spirit, they have marked me for life. I am not the same. I'm not perfect, but I'm not the same. And I'm not going back. I've been down that road. It sucks. Religion sucks. It sucks the life out of you. It sucks the joy out of you. It sucks your faith out. It makes you feel like you've got it all under control, that you're comfortable, like I've, I've got everything in place, I'm doing enough, I'm doing all this, and yet you're miserable because you're missing the one thing Jesus said would make all the difference in the world, and that's the Spirit of God. Amen. It, it ruins our ambition to pursue God. I just don't have any interest. What? What? He who created the heavens, who's expanding the sky, who holds all things at the power of his command. The one person who loves you no matter what. You can't disappoint them. You can't upset them. You can't fail them if you're trying. And you're not interested? The one who bled and died for you. The one who said, It's better that I go because I'm going to send somebody greater. And you can have all of him you want. And you're not interested? What are you interested in? It ruins our ambition to pursue God because I think deep down what this Spirit does, it makes us revere other people more than we reverence the Lord. I mean, just think about it. I've been in these churches. I mean, I was, I've been in church service where the pastor literally for 30 minutes Mocked people who raised their hands when they sang. What do you think that does to a person's ability to worship freely? I've been in these services where it's not the Spirit of God teaching the Word. If you read Psalms, you can understand that was false doctrine. We've been in these church services that have made us feel like we can't express ourselves When Jesus said, true worshipers worship in spirit and truth. Think for a minute. Does the thought of dancing in the church during worship feel comfortable or uncomfortable to you? Personally. This is a personal question. Is that a comfortable idea or uncomfortable? Does the thought of bowing down, getting on the floor on your hands and knees, in front of everyone, does that feel comfortable or uncomfortable? What about standing up to raise your hands when everyone else is sitting down? Does that feel comfortable or uncomfortable? Your response reveals what you revere more, God or the opinions of other people. The first time I tried to raise my hand to church, this is so funny. Many of you will relate to this. So finally in a new church, they do weird things at this church for a Fundamental Independent Baptist, weird things were like clapping at more than one song. You know, so this was a, this was a step. Some people are like raising their hands. I'm like, whoa. I'm going to try that. Okay, next song. Next song, I'm going to try that. Okay, here it comes. All right, here it is. <laughs> I ain't been shot yet. Okay. All right, this next one, okay, you know, I'm just like, it freaked me out. I was sweating here because it was so uncomfortable. Why? It wasn't because I was reverencing God and recognizing whose presence I was in who if God showed up physically right here, there's not a person who'd be in their seat. There's not a person who'd stand by and be like, oh, that's interesting. (laughs) You know? We'd be like, holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. The Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. And he's here. We can't see him. But if your heart's leaning in, you feel him. You know him. He's speaking. We're so people conscious that it stifles our God consciousness. We are so people conscious that it stifles our God consciousness. But beloved, if we would tune out everyone and everything and zeroed in on the one person who matters in this room, there'd be a lot of confidence. There'd be a lot of courage. Why? Why would fear go away? Because there's joy in his presence. There's peace in his presence. And beloved, therefore, is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The shame goes away. Because perfect love casts out all fear. And in his presence, that's what you get. Perfect love. But yet we all wrestle with this. We all have this insecurity. Even the worship team. Can I be honest? Like, we're we're just confessing. This is confession today. Not a person up here is 100% confident on your worship team. If you were a fly on the wall in some of the conversations we have backstage, you would understand that not everybody up here is confident. Not everybody up here is bold. Some people leave the stage and go hide because of how much anxiety comes whenever you become vulnerable and pour your heart out, and it feels like nobody is responding. That might not be true, but it feels like that. None of us are 100% confident. I'm not 100% confident. You don't think I'm not worried about how what some of you are thinking right now? Trying to tune that out to hear from the Lord? Confidence. You don't need to be 100% confident to worship your heart before the Lord. You see, this spirit makes it so easy to trade relationship with what we could have with God for religion. Because why? Why is it so easy? It's because what he offers feels safer. It just feels safer. You mean I can sit in my seat, put my hands in my pocket, and do nothing? Yep. And you can leave the same way you came in. Or I can become vulnerable and let God touch me and be incredibly different. It's a choice. It feels safer, it makes us more comfortable. We get to control the parameters, but it leaves us so much more empty and unfulfilling. And that type of a faith, a religion, is unsustaining, which is why many people who are a hot one minute for God fizzle out and you never see them again. Because what they have is built on a religion and not a true and living relationship with Almighty God. And I believe that God wants to rekindle some relationships today. God wants to rekindle some things. There's some of you that have grown cold. We all battle with this, but some of you have grown cold. And God wants to light a fire that maybe was lit years ago that's dimmed. So you're not living a religion, but you're walking in relationship. And so that when we gather together on Sunday, it's not a tiny campfire that's on fire here. It's a wildfire blazing. Because that's what people are attracted to. Hearts that are on fire for the Lord. People who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And and as I was praying over this challenge, I asked the Lord, God, I, I just want you to show me how to illustrate this. There's so many things that we could discuss and talk about. I could break down the Greek and Hebrew about what the words mean in the key verses. But I just want to nail this down. What is it that will illustrate what you're looking for, what we can go after so that we can not stand in your way, but open the door for you to have your way? And God laid this movie on my heart. A few weeks ago, we watched an old classic movie called uh, The Strongest Man in the World. I think we have a picture of it on there. You guys remember when Disney used to do like Disney classic, like Disney family Saturday nights and stuff like that? Uh, This was back when Kurt Russell, before Kurt Russell could act. So it might be a little old for for some of you. Um, But it's a family movie called The Strongest Man in the World. And Kurt Russell plays this guy named Dexter. And Dexter and his science buddies are trying to develop different formulas and an accident happens in the lab and uh, they accidentally create this super serum that makes people super strong and it lands on this bowl of like cornflakes, some kind of cereal. And so Dexter eats the cornflakes, he uh, becomes super strong and, and it's like this miraculous thing. He's able to do all these feats of strength but the school that they attend is really struggling financially. So the dean gets it in his mind, look, what we'll do is we'll, we'll create a competition. We'll get this cereal company to invest all the money we need, and we'll set up this competition of weight, a weightlifting challenge between our school, which has never won anything, and the state champions, who can then be sponsored by this cereal company's rival company. So it won't just be a contest between schools. It'll also be a contest between the two competing cereal companies. And so the rival cereal company... And, and the, the one that, that they were eating, they, they decide to put a, a backdoor deal together. And so now everybody's involved in this drama. So the day of the competition comes up. And even though the rival school was trying to steal the formula to no avail, they get to the day of the competition. And everybody's dressed up. Everyone's in their, their uniforms. And the rival school, they're all like Hercules guys. They're like super like macho, big muscle guys. And... In Dexter's school, they're a bunch of pipsqueaks. Like, barely fit into the, the, lift, the, the wrestling uniform. But they're eating the cereal that has this serum on it, believing that it's going to make them all super strong, and that they're just going to blow away the competition. Everyone's going to be amazed. This cereal company is going to be able to rub it in that we're king, we're number one, and, and everyone's just going to be uh, celebrating because the school saved and, and all of this stuff. And so they go to eat the cereal... And then they start the competition, and the, the two um, one representative from the rival school and Dexter's school go at it. The rival school presses this weight and does it with no problem, and then the first guy from Dexter's team tries, and he can't lift the weight. Like, he's struggling, and everyone's like, what's going on? Well, come to find out, the cereal they were eating didn't have super serum on it. It had some other kind of serum on it. So... All these guys, they were geeked, they were excited, they were ready to blow up the competition. They thought miracles were going to happen and the whole world was going to be in awe of, of what they were going to do and none of them had what they needed to perform the task. And so now they're worried. They're like, this is being nationally televised. This, this company that's investing in us is going to pull their money. They're going to lose. And our school's going to be in trouble. We're going to be publicly humiliated. And then Dexter finally remembers where he had some backup serum back at the lab. So he goes back, he drinks the serum, comes back, and lifts enough weight to win the whole challenge in one fell swoop. So it's pretty, pretty funny. But... The, the thing about this school, when I was praying about how to kick these 22 days off and meditating um, on this passage, the Lord brought this to my mind. And I just want you to think about this for a minute. The team showed up in uniform. They believed that they were superpowered and that miracles were going to happen. They ate the cereal. They did everything they were supposed to do. But at the end of the day, they were still the same. Nothing happened. They all felt a little foolish and probably even a little cheated. See, it didn't matter what they looked like or how excited they were or what they ate. Because what they were missing was the most important ingredient. And the same is true for us. I mean, we get excited about what God might be doing. We get excited about new things. We... We dress the part. We participate in things that we're being asked to do. I mean, during this, this uh, 22-day prayer challenge, we're asking you to not just pray, but also fast. So you can fast and pray. You can follow the devotional every day. You can read all the verses. You can do everything that you're being asked to do. But if this endeavor is missing the most important ingredient, you're going to remain the same. Something that's meant to make a profound difference in our lives and in our church won't really accomplish much. And as the Lord spoke through the prophet Isaiah, as he was addressing them about what they were going through and all these religious motions, they were actually proud of themselves for doing it. they were like, oh man, we're, look at what we're doing. Look at all these sacrifices we make. Look at all this fasting and this praying and all this ceremony. They were proud, but God wasn't really all that impressed. Why? because they were missing the most important ingredient. In Isaiah 58, verses 1 through 9, again through the prophet Isaiah, it says, Shout with a voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud and don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn about me. They seem delighted to learn about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God." They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We've been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice. You ever prayed a prayer like that to God? God, I'm doing all this stuff. Where are you? I'm faithful to church. I'm faithful in my giving. How come you're not answering my prayer? They're saying the same thing. And God's response. He says, I tell you why I respond. It's because you're fasting to please yourself. Even while you fast, you keep hurting or oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? You see, Israel had the right action but the wrong motivation. What was Israel doing? They were believing that all they had to do was go through the motions perform religious tasks and duties, and that obligated God to bless them. Beloved, let me be very clear. God is not a genie in a bottle where you just rub his lamp the right way and expect him to grant your wishes. He's not a genie. What God is saying to Israel is what good is all your religious tasks and duties when it makes no difference in your life? What good is it? This is the core challenge of Tony's word last week, and I believe it comes from the heart of God for his people. What good, beloved, is all of our ceremony? What good is all of our setup, all of our teardown, all of our services that we come to, all of our special meetings, all of our life groups, everything we do, what good is it if it makes no difference in how you live, and how you love, and how you believe? Verse 6, the Lord says, no, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And don't hide them from relatives who need your help. Then, somebody say then. Notice, there's a then. Then your salvation Will come like the dawn. And your wounds will quickly heal. Somebody say quickly. Then salvation will come. Your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward. And the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. When you call, the Lord will. Somebody say will. Will Will answer. Yes, I'm here. He will quickly reply. How many of you need a quickly reply in your life today? Maybe there's a missing ingredient. Maybe there's something that is missing. You're doing all the right stuff, but it's not making a difference in your life because there's one thing that you're missing. It's the missing ingredient that unlocks everything. God is telling the nation, don't take me for granted. Don't expect me to come through with a great blessing when you're doing everything opposite of the way I want you to do it because it's born out of the wrong motivation. The prophet Joel warning Israel coming judgment in Joel 2:12 through 13 says this is what the Lord says, "Turn to me now while there's time. Give me your what? Give me your 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 Give me your, give me your. The missing ingredient to God moving in your life is your and will forever be your heart. Forever will be your heart. Come with fasting, weeping and mourning. Weeping and mourning come because of an issue in the heart. A circumstance in the heart. You don't weep for nothing. You weep because something is moving in your heart, moving you to weep. You don't mourn just because. You mourn because somebody died, and you're grieving that life that you're now missing. There's something emotionally happening in your heart. These are all emotional responses to God. For God to move in your life, it takes a connected heart. What does he want more than anything, than anything we could ever do for him? He wants us to offer our hearts. Nothing we do matters to the Lord unless our hearts are attached. And think about it, as imperfect as your heart is, as messed up and jacked up as your heart is, as much baggage as you carry, as much stuff as you wrestle with, God still wants your heart. Raw, real, and imperfect. Verse 13, he says, don't tear your clothing in grief, but tear your what? Your hearts instead. And return to the Lord, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He's eager to relent and not punish. You know why you know you struggle with religion if you feel unworthy or not good enough? Because the Bible says he's eager to relent and not punish, not punish those who mess up. When you walk around feeling like God's gonna throw a lightning bolt any second, he's just waiting to smite you, that's not truth. That's a lie. The truth is, he's eager to relent. He's like a parent who knows he needs to bring discipline, but's waiting for their child to turn and repent and show remorse so that he can offer grace. The other day, We had a moment with one of my kids. I won't say who for sake of embarrassment, but it was a bad moment. It was one of those moments where I was like, this one's about to die. Tony was telling me what was going on, and so I was like, okay, we're going to take care of this right now. Get me the stick. Spanking stick. Go upstairs, furious, angry, looking them right in the eye, ready to whoop some butt. But God spoke to my heart. You're too angry. We're going to give grace today. You know that's God's heart for us. You know whose butt got whooped? Jesus. You know who was supposed to get whooped? Us. But God's eager to relent and not punish. He wants to offer grace. He wants to give mercy. So his call is, don't tear your clothing. That's an outward act. That can be faked. Anybody can, Mr. T, their shirt, or Hulk Hogan, their shirt. You can rip your shirt. You can show... All the stuff you want to show. But don't do that. Tear your heart. Tear your heart. Let it affect you. See, we live in a culture that thrives on fantasy. And not just in our, in our entertainment. I mean, we have a culture now. It's so commonplace to modify yourself in some way through plastic surgery. We, we don't accept reality anymore. And so we go modify ourselves to try to fit into some model of perfection that we've bought into and we can't even live up to that. That's why it's constant. You got to keep doing it. We substitute synthetic or fake to project an image that isn't truly us. Or think about what Facebook is doing with the metaverse. Trying to suck everybody into virtual reality and living life on the internet. There are actually companies right now that are investing in virtual space and preparing virtual products that people can buy that you can only get in the metaverse, online. So that it's to draw people in to spend their time living in virtual space. So it's not that we're just trying to bring fantasy into reality, we're trying to do away with reality altogether and just live the fantasy. And this is the culture, these are the memes, these are the ideas that are filtering into our culture and it trickles down and even affects us as followers of Christ as we try to project an image that's not authentic and true just to fit in because we're afraid of what other people might think. I can't come in here and have a bad day. What would people think? I can't come in here and share that I'm having marriage problems or, or that I'm struggling with depression or I'm doing any of these things because, like, what would people think of me? I can't, I can't admit that I have an addiction I've not been able to beat or kick. What would people think of me? They, they, they wouldn't think I was a good Christian anymore. And so we make up all these, these levels and standards for ourselves that we can't even meet. And we try to project fantasy rather than reality. And I believe that God is saying to his people today, to us today, to Vertical Life Church, to pastors Joey and Tony, to our leaders, to those who call VLC home, to those who watch online, is beloved, don't fake it. Don't give God synthetic. Give him authentic. Your heart is everything. Don't tear your clothes. Don't be religious. Give him your heart. And this falls in line with everything that we're endeavoring to do as a church today. And, and I believe if we're asking God to search our hearts, maybe you're in that place where you're just like, man, maybe I'm struggling with that deep sleep spirit because I'm just not there. Like I want to, but there's just, I have a hard time feeling it. I have a hard time like wanting to be there. Maybe today, before you even begin this endeavor, you just start out by saying, God, I know this is a good thing, but honestly, I'm really not feeling it. Help my heart connect. Help me get there. Help me learn how to lean in on you, to give you my heart in these times of prayer. Because I do want you to bless my life, and I do want you to bless our church. And I don't, I don't know how to give you what you want because I just I haven't ever figured it out. I want to. I just don't know how. Starting in a place like that, being honest and real with the Lord, at least puts you on the same footing as everybody else. That you're approaching God right where you are, trying to give Him what He desperately wants. And this is so important. And we'll close up here. Just before or just after Jesus ascended to heaven, He sent His disciples to Jerusalem. The whole gang is there. He made them a promise. He said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, He's going to anoint you with power. And you'll be able to accomplish everything I'm calling you to do. When that blessing comes, it's going to transform your lives. It's going to radically change everything. You're going to go from being scared and running for your life to being bold in the face of fear. In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Somebody say one accord. They were all, all the disciples, were one accord in one place. Verse 2, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. So the Holy Spirit's being poured out. This rushing wind is showing up. It's the manifestation of the Spirit. But before the Spirit was poured out, they were all, somebody say all. 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 One accord in one place. Not just in the same place. Not just one accord. They were all in one accord in the same place. The word one accord means united in one heart, one mind, and one passion. So they didn't just come to come. They came for a purpose. That early church gathered because God had made them a promise. God said, I'm going to do this. So they met together with a purpose. They were all of one mind in their pursuit in one place. And then you know what happened? There came the Holy Spirit. There came the fulfillment of his promise. And beloved, God has made some promises to Vertical Life Church. God has said this building, this auditorium is going to be full God has said that this is going to be filled with people who worship God with crazy abandon. That this is going to be a place of crazy generosity. Where people will come and experience the prophetic word, healing, deliverance. Where they will find everything they're looking for in the presence of God. Because it's going to be a place where God's presence can be found. I just want you to, it's amazing, yes. If you're here today and God has independently spoken to you either in a word, a vision, or a dream about what God wants to do. Would you raise your hand, young or old? Look around the room. Keep your hands up. Look around the room. Out of the mouth are two, three witnesses. A truth is established. How many hands do you see? How many hands? God is going to do something here. God is going to do something significant With us. The question is, are you with us? Are we of one heart, one mind, one accord in one place? Then let's do it as we pursue Him through 22 days of fasting and prayer. Let's pray. I'm a firm believer every blessing we have in this church has come in the last few years because of the prayer nights we've been having on Sunday nights. God is unlocking things in our times of prayer. And I believe as we come together through 22 days of prayer and we seek the Lord, we ask God, God, what are you doing in me? And what do you want to do in our church? And how can I be a part of it? And we do it together. Get ready for the outpour of the Holy Spirit. Get ready for it. Amos 3.3. Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? I don't know if you knew, but God likes to ask rhetorical questions. Can two people walk in the same direction without agreeing on the direction? Can they walk together? No. So if you're not walking with us, you're walking against us. Search my heart. Know my thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends. And God, lead me. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes in this moment. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the challenge. I thank you that you're eager to relent. You're eager to build up. You want to show us unfailing love. You have so much more. The minute we think we've experienced it all, there's another level. And God, we affirm together today as one body with one heart and one mind that we believe your word, you are going to do something in this church, in this ministry, in this community that is going to reverberate for generations. And God, we're so thankful that we get to be the first generation. We get to be ground zero, the foundation of the movement that you're planting here in this church. And I thank you, God, for how you're going to bring us together. That you're going to cultivate this heart of passionate people in pursuit of the heart of God by first offering our hearts to you. And I thank you for this time of prayer and response. If you're here I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward. If you're here and you're the one, you're the one that would say, you know what? I want to give God my heart. I want more of the Lord. But honestly, Pastor Joey, I'm just not feeling it. I don't know how, but I want to. I just, there's just things in me where I don't, I'm not comfortable with trying to do more. Some of the things I know can happen kind of weird me out a little bit and I'm just just not there yet. But I, I want to be. If that's you, don't wait. Don't hesitate. Just stand up right where you are and come down forward and let one of our prayer team members or some of our prayer team members pray with you. Because the fastest way to unlock your heart is to take a step And in faith, respond to what God is speaking. If you're feeling that tug of war right now in your heart, like, man, I know I should, but I don't really want to. Or, man, like, I feel like that's me, but I don't really want to go up there. Or, like, I want to go up there, but what might people think? Or I might be embarrassed, or I might be uncomfortable, or my feet might hurt, or whatever the excuse, that spirit of deep sleep is speaking to your heart right now. In the name of Jesus... Drown that out and respond to the Holy Spirit. If you keep listening to the religious spirit, you'll keep living a religious life. But if you listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, you will find life and life more abundantly. If you've got that tug of war, you know God is speaking to your heart. You know you want more of God. You know there's something in there, but there's something holding you back. Come down anyway. Break through it. Make the move. In Jesus' name, as people are coming, we're going to just pray for just a couple moments. And then I'm going to ask us to pray together as a church. So, just for the next few moments, as they're praying down front, and encourage you to continue to wrestle with what God has on your heart.